before we jump in, can we pray? So Lord, we, we, uh, we thank you for who you are and that you, your word tells us, you literally tell us that you knit us together in our mother's womb. You knew us before we were born. And, and so we, I pray right now, Lord, for, for those in ministry and specifically in this area. We pray for the, the, the people who work at the Pregnancy Resource Center and those who are, who are, who are, um, who are ministering, ministering one-on-one with, uh, with ladies and families making tough situations, making decisions. God, we just pray. We pray that you would use them to literally save lives and, uh, and, that, and that life, that more, more children would be, uh, would be saved and born because of the work of those who, um, who, are, who are serving in this area. So, Lord, we pray um, for their safety. We pray for wisdom. We pray for their ability to continue to minister to, uh, to families and, uh, and women in need. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so your homework is to keep praying for, specifically for that. Grab one of these cards on your way out. So um, one other thing, and this, I have to, um, I have to apologize. Last week, um, I, totally, I totally spaced on something. I, I meant it's kind of, it was kind of a big deal. I meant to bring it up. I, why, do you, why are you laughing? This is a serious moment, you guys. Um, I also... I have an itch right here on my leg. I'm so sorry. Um, last week, you guys, I totally forgot. I spaced out first service to just say, to just say, man, what a great weekend that was, and uh, and I'm so excited for another weekend. Uh, my, uh, uh, but any Niner fans in here, by the way? You know, I have to say, I've, over the years, I've been here eight, almost eight years now, the crowd's getting larger, so congratulations. Well done. Good job, guys. Good job. And uh, any not Niner fans in here? Yeah, yeah, that's a much smaller crowd. Yep, I could, you could tell. You could tell. Anyways, I just had to bring it up because I failed last week, and I remember the second service, but you guys didn't get the joy, the joy of seeing my joy. So... Uh, hey, let's jump in. We're talking about the Bible and misunderstanding the Bible. And this week, we're answering this question. And, and again, all of these, like each week, these questions are quick and easy and seem simple. And then as you, like, as we dig deeper into it, we realize, man, this, this might be, not be as, as just sort of black and white or as easy to answer as we thought. So this week, here's what we're looking at. Should we obey everything in the Bible? Should we obey the Bible and everything in it? Um, I, you, maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've even said this before. Um, there's, a, there's an expression and, you know, bumper stickers, and it, I'm sure there's like mugs and shirts and stuff, and it says this. The Bible says it. I believe it. You know the rest? That settles it, right? And it's this kind of like phrase that, that sometimes we'll use and say, it almost like a, hey, this is what I believe and you can't change my mind and I'm right and that's it, right? The Bible says it and I believe it and that settles it. And there's this sense, listen, if, if that really is kind of like the extent of sort of our engagement with the Bible, um, there's, a, there's a sense in which we have this, this mentality in which we say all of the Bible should be believed and obeyed and, and, like, and submitted to and carried out. And if you don't, then it's not my problem, it's your problem. 
Now, after today, I hope, I hope that we have at least a little bit more nuanced response than just simply that settles it. Because um, I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to, this again, you, you, you're in the room, you cannot leave. If you're watching online, you can't tune off when I say this. But should everything in the Bible, should we obey everything in the Bible? Listen, the honest, the quick answer, like the, the like, just, all right, here, now we're going to discuss this as to why. The quick answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, you can't leave until I explain that, right? Should we obey everything in the Bible? There is no way you or I should obey everything in the Bible. Now, let's talk about this. Now we're going to get into this and say why that's our answer. Um, so, Here's a quote by a, a, a one author, commentator, scholar named John Stott. Um, he wrote this, The hallmark of authentic evangelicalism is not subscription, but submission. Here's what he's saying. It isn't saying like, well, I believe these or I agree with this, but rather I submit to the, what the scriptures say. That is, it is not whether we subscribe to an impeccable formula about the Bible, but whether we live in practical submission to what it teaches, in, and this is important, including an advanced resolve to submit to whatever it may later be shown to teach. Here's what this means. Here's what he's saying. What makes us authentic followers of Jesus is not that we say, listen, I, I, I read this, I believe it, I do it. I, I agree with it, what's in here, and that settles it. What he's saying is the true mark of a follower of Jesus is, is if you submit to this and you have pre-decided that whatever I learned that it teaches me, I will submit to. You see the difference? It isn't I submit to the things I like in here. I will submit to that which I agree with in here. What he's saying is a true follower says, listen, if this really is what the Lord's telling me, whether I like it or not, whether I prefer this or not, he says we have decided that we will submit to it. Now, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Now, now, how do we know? How do we know what in the Bible should be obeyed and what shouldn't? Because listen, there are a lot of things that should not be obeyed. That if you are obeying, your life will be crazy. It will be crazy. Now, I will explain. By the end of this, you're going to go, okay, I'm on his side. Right now, you're probably going, all right, I've been here a while. I thought this was a biblically sound church. But now I'm questioning everything. Now, before you get to that mode, I promise you, by the end, you'll say, okay, I, I agree, that makes sense. Turns out he is still right. Here's what we're gonna do. Week one, week one, we talked about canon. We said, this is the word you have to know, the canon of scripture, right? The, kind of the library of the Bible. Week two, which was last week, we talked about the two I words, specifically um, inspiration and inerrancy and what those mean. Now, there's two more words that we're going to look at this morning that these, when we talk about and think through the Bible theologically, these are important concepts to understand. And they are this, the illumination and the authority of Scripture. 
Again, these are just kind of simple words. All right, I know illumination. That seems kind of weird. Authority. I know what authority means. Okay, but, but biblically and what we're t- like specifically with regard to Scripture, there are very specific terms and specific fields like a theological understanding. So we're going to jump into these and, and look at just why, why both of these are important and essential and what that means for us. Um, I read this last week. One guy, one pastor, he wrote this. Uh, he said, if you have the Bible without the Holy Spirit, without the Spirit, you will dry up. It will become just stale and not alive. If you have the Spirit without the Bible, he says, you will blow up. You will go crazy. You, you, won't, you won't have any kind of compass. But if you have both the Bible and the Spirit together, he says, you will grow up. The key to growth isn't I read my Bible and that's it. It isn't, well, I just pray and that's it. It's, I, I have the Spirit and I have the Scriptures. And that combination is how we grow. So let's talk about illumination because this is a specific role that the Holy Spirit plays in our life with regard to the Bible. Here's what, how we could define illumination. The work of the Holy Spirit in helping the believer to understand God's Word. This is part of his role. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, and it's, it, you know, it can be a kind of a mysterious, confusing, kind of, I'm not so sure, kind of fuzzy almost, and, and, and maybe understandably so, because like of all the, like of the three persons of the Trinity is the most, like, like the kind of the, the, the least sort of tangible, put your hand on, this is what, this is who he is, this is what he does, this is what he's like, this is, and, and, and so when we talk about like, the Holy Spirit, it can be, it can honestly be confusing depending on the denomination you're in, depending on your background, your history, and, and what people have told you. But, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at specifically the role of the Holy Spirit in our understanding of Scripture. Here's what 1 Corinthians uh, 2 tells us. Paul writes this. He says, the person, this is why it's so important that, that you need the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, and you can't just pick one or the other. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. This, this is important and this is key. And, and because, and this is, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna assume, I'm gonna guess that a number of us have had this experience where you're reading the Bible and it feels like, man, that was written to me. Maybe it's a difficult time. Maybe it's just you're just doing a devotion and you come across a passage and you're going, like, like it is crazy how specific that applies to me in my life right now. I mean, it, it's almost like someone opened it up and said, read this, this is for you. And that experience that you have when you read scripture, and it's not every time you read it, but there are times when you have that kind of moment, that is this happening where the Holy Spirit is actually like helping your ability to understand the scriptures and know what it means for you. This is this you're experiencing real time this thing called illumination where the Holy Spirit is working in your life through the Bible to point out either things in you or things in your circumstances or how you need to trust God or whatever it may be. And so you're reading the scripture saying Lord speak to me and then you find this passage this verse this this experience, and and it's like that was for me. Wow. It this is like God I feel like you're trying to teach me something. Yes, he is. He absolutely is. So the Holy Spirit's role in Scripture. Let's look at what Jesus says. There's 
There's uh, three chapters in the book of John where Jesus is talking now about this Holy Spirit, this comforter, this advocate that will be coming and, and his role. And here's, there's four things that we're gonna pull out and we're gonna look at. Um, so the Holy Spirit's role with scripture, here it is. Number one, the Holy Spirit will teach us and remind us. Jesus says this in John 14, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's not in the world at this point yet. He Pentecost is still future for them. This person, this Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and will remind you of what? Of everything I have said to you. Part of the Holy Spirit's job is to teach us what Jesus taught and what he said and to remind us of what he taught. We see a second thing that uh, just a chapter later, John 15, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, we're told, will testify about Jesus. Part of his role is to, is to preach and to do evangelism like inside of us. Here's what Jesus says. When the advocate comes, whom I will send from the fa- to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, here's what he will do. He will testify about me. Part of his job is to enlighten or illuminate people's understanding of Jesus. This is why like, when we talk about we talk about this big word evangelism, which really just means like sharing our faith, um, that we talk about like God working people's lives, like Holy Spirit move in people's hearts to understand you. That is his role. We, we pray for those things. I'm praying that God will move in the lives of the people that, that are in my life that don't know Jesus because that's one of the things he does is he testifies to us, to people about Jesus. A third thing we see in John 16, 8, one chapter later, the Holy Spirit will convict the world, and this is important, and this we can spend a whole sermon on this, will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And then Jesus goes on to explain those three categories. He says this, when he comes, he will, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Three very specific areas, three specific categories that he, like his job is to bring conviction to the world, to everyone about these things. All right, that's part of his role. And then we see the fourth that Jesus says in the same kind of section, the same kind of like, like, like preaching about the Holy Spirit. A few verses later, John 16, verse 13, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. That he guides believers in truth, and he's not making up new truth, but rather he is, he is sharing and speaking what he hears specifically from the Father. And so the Holy Spirit's role, listen, this is where, this is where like, I want to be careful. This is where we can get touchy because, because, there, there are plenty of, without naming names, there are plenty of denominations. There's plenty of people, just Google online, and just you'll see plenty of people who will say, the Holy Spirit is telling all of us to do a new thing, a new teaching, a new practice, a new way of, all right, now hold on. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is he doesn't make up new stuff. He doesn't speak on his own, but rather confirms what was already said. So you and I, we have the scriptures, we have what Jesus taught, and the Holy Spirit uses that. If, 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 if you get 
again, I want to be careful because the Holy Spirit does speak to us, but it, it is, it's in a way that confirms truth that has already been shared, if that makes sense. So if I get up here and say, you know what, guys, the Holy Spirit told me X, Y, Z, and he wants you guys to do this X, Y, Z, you should at least question, all right, does that line up with Scripture? Don't, listen, listen, all right, this isn't in the notes, this is, so this part's free. Don't believe everyone who says, God told me. The Holy Spirit told me. That doesn't mean it's true. Do you know how many people have said that in, in what's called spiritual abuse? And I've used that to like, to like manipulate people. Listen, just because someone says, God told me, the Holy Spirit told me, that doesn't mean you say, oh, well, that settles it. That must be true. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is not to create new information, but rather not to speak on his own, but rather to share what he hears and to bring to remembrance what we already know to be true. All right. Now, does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Absolutely. And, and, and I think he's speaking to us more than we, more than we think. We just aren't listening be, or we aren't. It, it, the noise around us kind of drowns him out. But be careful when someone says, God told me something about you. God told me you should. I, I mean, I, I guess this is, there are times where this happens. I did this last week when, when I told my kids that they should mow the lawn of their pastor as just an act of service and they roll their eyes right hey you know what would be great is if you if you just wash your pastor's truck and they just go to their room like whatever like it doesn't work by the way the holy spirit will guide believers into all truth okay so the holy spirit's role is this word called illumination to un, to help us understand the scriptures in a way that 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 honestly that simply we can't and this is like when you choose to become a follower of jesus and people will say things like, you know, I, the Bible, it, it, it comes alive. Like, it's just different. I, I liken it like this. I, I, I often say that what we read in black and white all of a sudden comes with color now. That, that what, what is just words on pages now actually affects me and, like, speaks to me. And, and like, God is, God is talking and wanting me to do things. And, in, and, like, he wants to, like, be involved in my life. And, and I read that in this. It's why the Bible calls it alive and active and alive and moving in our lives. Now, the second part, authority. Okay, now we're gonna get to specifically why we say, should we obey all the Bible? And the answer is, of course not. Now we're talking about authority and here it is. Here's the definition of authority we could say. The Bible has the right to command belief or action. And 100% true. The Bible is in a, has the authority to say, it is like you submit to it, it doesn't submit to you. So we say, we say, I should believe and change my action, behavior, understanding, beliefs to line up with Scripture because Scripture has authority over my life. It's not me sitting in judgment or authority over it. So it has authority. It has the right. If, the, if this really is God's word, like we've been talking about the last few weeks, God God, God breathed this through people to speak it and it's, and it's without error and, and its intent and what it, what it says, then it has authority. 
more so than just any other kind of book or writing or, or thoughts or wisdom or philosophy. No, no, no. This has a different level of authority. Now, is all of it equally authoritative? Let's discuss. Should we, should we obey everything in the Bible? Here's what we could say. The entire Bible is authoritative. Ready? But not all of it is authoritative for us. Everything in here is God speaking and speaks with authority. But not all of it has authority currently over you. Let's, just, let's explain. The first major distinction in this idea of authority is this. The old covenant versus the new covenant. There are two covenants. They're labeled testaments in here, but it's, covenant is more specific and more nuanced. There is an old covenant that God makes with the Jewish people, the Jews with Israel, and it's through the law and it's through Moses. And the Old Testament is all about this covenant. And there's a number of covenants, but it's, it's the covenant of, like, that he sets up with his people to make them his own people and to keep them set apart from everyone else and to, to make sure that they worship him and him alone and, and they have all of these restrictions and all of these regulations and, and what they can eat and like how they, how they wash and clean themselves ceremonially and, and like all, they have all these things. There's actually 613 laws in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant that they have to abide by. 613, not 10. We, we, you know the big 10, right? The 10 commandments. In fact, we probably don't even know all of them. Like we know there's 10. We probably couldn't like... We probably couldn't, like, if, I, if I just sat down with you right now without opening your Bible, without getting on Google, hey, could you name all 10 commandments? You'd probably be like, I got six. I think I got six, right? And, and like, that's the extent of maybe what we know. If you get all 10, like, well done. There are 613 in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that they are to know and follow. Now, the Old, the old Covenant is no longer what we live under. Jesus institutes what he calls the new covenant. And he does this on the night that he would be betrayed. It's, it's the first like opportunity, like the, 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 uh, the last supper, what we celebrate, what we call communion. He says, literally, this is a new covenant in my blood. I'm starting a new covenant. Hebrews chapter eight talks about this new covenant and why it's superior to the old covenant because it comes with better promises. And the new covenant is now what we live under. We are called new covenant, what's often New Testament people or new covenant people, not old covenant. Let me give you some examples of some, um, some Old Testament covenant ideology practices that when we read if you think we should follow then you are not reading this word. you're, you're going to get it right away okay here we go one, one example We're, we, I got like five or six we're going to go through just right out the gate right out the gate this guy named Abram who later becomes Abraham it says this now Sarai who becomes later becomes Sarah I'll just use Sarah and Abraham because those are the names we know Sarah and Abraham, Abraham's wife had borne him no children but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham or Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Now, listen, this is a command from, from her. And, and we see this in the Old Testament. And we say like, all right, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. All right. So Abraham agreed to what Sarah said course you did you dirty dog seriously abraham really he's like you know what honey that's a good idea now listen you read this 
You read this, you're going through your devotions, you open up and you're like, honey, I found a passage. I think we should read it together and just see what the Lord says. And you read through this and you see this is what they did. Listen, clearly, and you see the rest of the story and it carries out and he does and they have a children and, and it, it doesn't go so well, but like, hey, you know what? Let's try it. Maybe we, could, maybe we could do better than Abraham. You read the Old Testament and you see there's, there's so many op, like, like experiences like this where you say, okay, you know what? I don't think we're supposed to do that. But he certainly did. And, and we see that, like, that God involved, like, is involved in their lives and in these kids' lives in this broken, crazy, messed up family, God uses this family. This is the, this is the guy he's gonna bless the nation, like the world with. And he's like, you know what? All right, good idea, hon. Good idea. Let's, let's just try it. We read our Bible, we read things like that, and we say, ah, does that apply? Are we supposed to obey that? What about, what about, uh, there's plenty of times where, uh, where there are other guys who, 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 engage, who experience and, and participate and, and f- like jump all into polygamy and have multiple wives. Like Solomon is famous for having multiple wives. The Bible talks about polygamy. And so because it's in the Bible, should we obey that? Does that apply to us? Now, before you just say no, which, which you should, by the way, you gotta have a good reason. Why not? There are plenty of people who will say, honestly, why not? It was good enough for them. And here's, ready? Here's one of the, here's the reason. Because that was old covenant and we are in new covenant. It's, think of it as a different set of rules, as a, as a, as a, as a, a prior way to instruct us about a new, better way. Here's another one. Okay, ready? Here are some commands. That one's more story like, all right, of course we're not gonna do that. Here's what the Lord commands of his people. You tell me if we should do these things. Deuteronomy chapter 22. We should obey all the Bible. All right, here we go. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Anyone have mixed, you have mixed, like mixed media clothing? Anyone? Check your tag right now. Check your tag. If if that's not 100%, if that's 60-40 of anything, you need to remove that, you sinner. How dare you? How dare you disobey the Bible? We read that and we say, okay, I don't think we're supposed to obey that. Why not? You gotta have a good reason. You gotta have a good reason. Let me give you some more. Exodus 23, 19. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay, I don't think I've ever done that. Have, really? Never done a stew with any kind of cream in it? Right? Now listen, if you go to Israel today, they, they, do, they live out all of these. They do this. I mean, specifically like those who are Orthodox Jew and like, like this, is, this is what they do. And so when you go, when you have meals, like if, you know, we're, we're gonna take an Israel trip. If you go with us, you'll experience this where in a meal, they'll, if they have meat, they won't have dairy because they don't want the, even the possibility of this happening. You get up in the morning, you're like, oh, it's meat day, awesome. You're like, man, I could go for some milk or some cream. Like, nope, that's tomorrow. Dang, all right. Oh, it's dairy day. No meat, no meat in this breakfast. Because of they actually still do this. Now, I'm sure you don't. Why don't you? How, how dare you disobey the Bible? Shall we continue? I think we shall. Leviticus chapter 11. And the pig, this one, this one hurts my heart. And the pig, though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. This 
outlaws bacon. Are you serious? Are we supposed to obey that? If you came to the men's breakfast uh, yesterday, there's like 90 so or so guys, not pl- over 90 guys. Um, we didn't have just bacon. We had like two different options, two kinds of bacon, right? Wonderful. Did you guys know that you were sinning? Did you know you weren't supposed to eat that? Again, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Oh, that's not necessarily the case. Let's, let's continue, okay? Leviticus 19. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges of your beard. When's the last time you had a haircut, you sinner? You have a beard? When's the last time you trimmed your beard? How dare you? Now listen, if you, again, if you go to Israel and you see Orthodox Jews, there's a reason they have like the, like they'll, you know, they usually have like the, 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 the super awesome like curly sideburns like that go down because of this, because of this verse. And they don't trim their, they got full beards because of this. They're told, don't do this. And they're obeying it fully. Why don't we? Again, because we don't live in the old covenant. We live in a new covenant. So, should we believe anything? Should we obey anything in the Old Testament? That answer is actually kind of complicated. There are, the, the, I think the best way to, to like answer this, that people have really like throughout time, throughout like theologically have understood this, is that there are different kind of laws. They're not all the same. There are moral laws, there are civil laws, and there are ceremonial laws. And what they will say is moral laws are ones that stand the test of time. Like morality doesn't change. This is why we would say the Ten Commandments are somewhat binding. I, I, it's not as good of an argument. I don't, I don't look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, we should do all of those because they're the Ten Commandments. We should do them because Jesus reiterates them in the New Testament and says he actually ups the ante, the standard in those. But they, are, they, they deal with morality and moral laws. All right. Those seem to be binding because morality doesn't change. But civil laws, civil laws specifically, like how they should govern the people, oh, that changes. That absolutely changes. And, and, and that's old, old covenant. And ceremonial laws, specifically like how you should, like the kind of sacrifices you should do and how you should do it and what kind of animal and, and how long you should clean your, and wash your hands and like, like, what, like the places you're allowed to go and not go and the days you're like, all of that was for them. And, and should, we believe, should we obey those laws? Well, no, no. We're no longer under old covenant law. We have new covenant. We have this 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 one sacrifice that, that appeases and does away with the sacrificial system. Now, Jews today, especially Orthodox Jews, they still obey these because they are still living under Old Covenant. And we are New Covenant people. Now, Jesus institutes this New Covenant. Hebrews 8 talks about this. The New Covenant replaces the Old Covenant. And so the first major distinction that we have to say and realize is that there's an Old Covenant distinction between like what God, like what people are supposed to do and a New new Covenant, New Testament, really, distinction of what we should do and obey. All right. Here's a second major distinction. And this one, this one I think, I think has the potential to really help clear up a lot of misunderstanding for you. Honestly, this is the one, this is the one that will help you filter through what you're hearing from maybe other pastors or teachers or people online or podcasts or books or Bible studies. This will be the thing that will help you filter out is what they're saying true or not. Here it is. This is the thing, honestly, that will, that will as you read the scriptures, especially the New Testament, will help you understand what applies and what doesn't. The second major distinction is this. 
It is the difference between descriptive versus prescriptive writings or texts or books or passages or verses or commands. The difference between descriptive and prescriptive text in the Bible. This is so important. Th- those words mean nothing to you maybe right now, but listen, this I think is gonna help you like, like a light bulb moment. It's gonna like, that makes sense now. Here we go. Let's, des- let's define them. Description describes what was done. Listen, this is the history. This is the narrative of what happened. This is describing events or circumstances or experiences or the lives of certain people. We're just simply, I'm simply writing down what happened to them. It's descriptive, right? Prescriptive now is not describing what was done, but rather instructs what we should do. So think of descriptive as what was done and prescriptive is what we should do. These hold weight. Things that are prescriptive, meaning it prescribes them to us, are things that you and I should do and should obey. Things that we are told, this is for you. Things that are descriptive aren't. So, let's look at this. In Acts, now we're going to go New Testament, New Covenant. Acts says this, and this is all over the place. Acts is a primary way where you're going to see this distinction, and you need to use this filter. Acts chapter 1, verse 26. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Well, in the book of Acts, which is New New Testament, they cast lots. So therefore we should. No. Because they did it doesn't mean we should do it. The book of Acts, this is so important, and this is the, of all the, the books in the New Testament, this is the one that you really need this filter. The book of Acts is a description of what happens in the first century, the early church, as it expands. It is not prescriptive, and here's what you then should do. But you will see so many people pull out a theology of here's what you are to do based on the book of Acts because here's what happened to them, and so this is how it should be for all people of all time. If you hear someone say that they didn't, understand this filter of descriptive versus prescriptive. Here's another one. And this one, again, if I'm wrong on this, this one hurts. You are, you are uh, Acts 15. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and sexual immorality. That makes sense. You will do well to avoid these things. Okay, wait in here. Hold on. We're, avoid, we're to abstain from food sacrificed to idols. That, that makes sense. From, from, from food with blood and meat strangled. So I, I can't have my steak medium rare anymore. This is New Testament. And they're being told specifically, you cannot have meat that has blood in it for a particular reason. And so you, look, we're reading this and we can very easily say, listen, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. In Acts, it says that they were to abstain from food sacrificed to idols and from food with blood and from meat strangled with animals. Okay, I think I got to have all my steaks well done now because the Bible commands it. 
but does it command it? Or is it simply telling us this in their culture, in their context, is what they needed to do? This is, listen, I, I'm gonna free you up here. Okay, ready? This is, this, I just took some authority over your life. You can have your meat any way you want it. And it isn't because we say so, but because passages like this are descriptive, not prescriptive. It's describing in their context that abstaining from blood wasn't wrong because it just is, but because the blood was used in their, in their culture for, for specific pagan rituals, and they're saying, you need to stay away from all of that. Now, you and I, we don't have like, like specific dietary like rules with regard to like abstaining from certain pagan rituals, but they did. This is why Paul later on says for some, hey, listen, if for some eating meat is wrong, for others, it's fine. And if me eating, he says this, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, may I never eat him like again. Like I, I'm not gonna eat it. If, if me eating meat is, is an issue for them, then I won't eat in front of them. I won't do it. But he doesn't say because it's wrong. It's because it's what's wise. And for them, eating meat is wrong. And so he's like, all right. For him, it was fine. For Peter, Peter had to learn this. Peter had to learn it became okay for him to eat pigs and hooved animals because the Lord had this vision for him and he had to realize like, hey, don't, hey listen, whatever the Lord made is clean. Don't, don't consider anything he made unclean. And like they had, to, they had to really go through this like, okay, old covenant no longer applies. Like this is why they were seen as heretics and as blasphemies because they are now like, you're getting rid of the old covenant, the Old Testament laws, like our Moses laws. Now you're eating whatever you want going where you're not doing sacrifice you're doing like you're disregarding all of that because they understood we're new covenant now and all of that no longer applies we see this we see then a lot of descriptive texts in the new testament a lot of narrative like whenever there's narrative this is describing what happened and then we get a lot of prescriptive text and this is a lot of the epistles the letters certainly jesus is teaching and command jesus says this in matthew 22 Verse 37 says this, Jesus replied, here it is, ready? This is now, you tell me if this is descriptive or prescriptive. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he summarizes with this. He says, all, all of the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament stuff, hang on these two commandments. You tell me. Is that just describing what they should do? Or is Jesus saying, hey, listen, this is for all time, for all people. Like for us, we say, that applies. That is very much prescriptive. Jesus is saying, this summarizes all of it. All of the Old Testament laws are summarized with this. Love God and love others. Should we, should we obey that and submit to that? Oh, absolutely. That's not optional because it is telling us, Jesus is telling us, what we should do. As a general rule, much of what occurs in the book of Acts is descriptive. It's describing the history, what Jesus taught, and much of what is like much of what is in the epistles is prescriptive. This is why we look at Paul's writing and saying this is authoritative. Jesus' teaching, these are authoritative. These apply to us, absolutely. Acts is history, and the epistles are instruction. So we see the second major distinction. This is really helpful and really important, is is description versus prescriptive. Descriptive versus prescriptive. So here's what we do. How do we do How do we settle this? In the end, when we look at this and we say, listen, is all of this, should we obey all of the Bible? Should we obey all the commands of the Bible? 
Absolutely not. If so, then you, you got to let your hair grow. You got to stop shaving your beard. You, you got to like, you got to make sure that your clothing is never mixed up. You got to like pork is gone, right? Like, okay, there are, there are so many things that you now have to change. And, and what the New Testament explicitly says, no, no, you don't live under that anymore. You don't need to do any of that. It's now all about and through Jesus. So should we obey all of the Bible? Well, no, of course not. But all of it's authoritative. All of it instructs, has instruction for us. So here's how, the, the, here's like my filter. Like what I, like how do I know if this applies and we should do this or not? Here's the great, like if you're gonna have one filter, here it is, ready? If Jesus commanded it, we obey it. Jesus becomes the authority over all of it. Jesus is one who speaks with authority and he's the one who, who, who ups the ante of the Old Testament, even all the Ten Commandments. He ups the ante and he says, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. He's like, that's not good enough. That's fine. Listen, that's a good start. But I say, if any of you hates his brother or sister, he's committed murder in their heart. That, that hating someone now is wrong. More so than just like, hey, Lord, I didn't kill him. I hate him, but I didn't kill him. And he says, hey, I need you to take another step. And that step is to remove the hate. All right. Is that descriptive or prescriptive? Oh, very much prescriptive. Jesus is now upping the ante of a lot of these commands. So, so if Jesus commanded it, we obey it. The gospels become the focal point of all of the scriptures. The Old Testament points forward to this Messiah that's coming. The gospels describe and explain, here's the Messiah and here's what he did. And he is this Messiah and here's what he said and here's what he taught and here's how he changed everything. And then the rest of the New Testament is pointing back to this Jesus and saying, in response to this Jesus now, here's how you should live. And we live under this portion of the scriptures, the new covenant of this then is how we should live. What the Bible, we get summarized with this. What the Bible describes, we learn from. What the New Testament commands or prescribes, we obey. Should we obey all of the Bible? No, of course not. We can't. We're not supposed to. We're told. We're told in the New Testament not to obey all of the Old Testament commands and laws. Now, can we learn from them? Oh, absolutely. Should we read the Old Testament? Absolutely. There's a reason we still keep it and have it, and you should be reading it and learning from it. And we look at the lives of people and say, man, I can learn stuff from them. Now, when it comes to do I obey and do what they did? No, 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 no. We are in a different context. Now, when we look at Jesus and the New Testament and, and the authors of, and the, the, like the, 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 uh, the apostles and disciples and what they wrote, do we obey them? Oh, very much so. Very much so. When they command, they're speaking now in new covenant. So the Bible then, here's what you get to decide. And here's what you don't, here's what becomes really difficult and what a lot of people don't like. You have to decide, you have to pre-decide if I agree to submit to it or not. I'm gonna guess, I'm gonna guess, you don't have the entire New Testament memorized. Just taking a stab at it, Right? So there may be things as you're reading and say, I never knew that. I never knew that. I've never heard that before. I don't, I don't I've never, I didn't realize that that was what John said or what, what Peter wrote or what Paul said. Like, wow, I didn't know that command was in there. You have to decide right now ahead of time. Does it have authority over you or not? Do you agree to submit to teachings that you might not know, yet know of? Not new teachings like, like hey, 
I'm on the stage and I'm telling you something new. No, no, no. Things that are in the scriptures you just simply aren't aware of yet. Listen, does the Bible have authority over your life in such a way where you say, I'm pre-deciding to submit to any of the commands that I might not even yet know of? If you say no, then here's what, here's what that means. That means you have a real issue with the authority and the inerrancy and the, and the God-breathed scriptures. And your, your, your issue now is, I don't know if I can obey God. If you decide, yes, I'm pre-deciding, I will submit to what the Lord commands in the new covenant under Jesus now, all right, I'm in. You then are on your way to what Jesus calls being a disciple, where you say, all right, I'm in, I'm in. If the New Testament commands it, if Jesus commands it, if his, if his followers who wrote with authority command it, okay, I'm in. Even if I, I might not like it, this seems to be prescriptive, not descriptive. All right. And this is hard work. Because it's not a very, it's not always surface level, the understanding of this is, this is how I should apply this. But this is why, this is why we read the scriptures. And we say it has authority over our lives. So, church, should we obey everything in the Bible? No. Okay, that was, you, you, I hope you're convinced. That was not very enthusiastic. Should you believe everything in your Bible? Should you obey every command that's in here? No, of course not. Should you obey the commands of Jesus and subsequently those who wrote after him? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. If you are a disciple or follower of Jesus, you say, Amen. Now, how do you know what those commands are? Ready for this? Ready for this? You gotta read it. <laughs> you gotta open this up and say, All right, I wanna read this and I wanna understand what it says. And Lord, you show me, you show me, you illuminate the scriptures for me to teach me and show me in my life right now, in my context, what it is that you want me to do. And whatever you ask, whatever you say, I'm in. That is the mark of a disciple. Will you stand with me as we pray and worship the Lord together? So Lord, we, we recognize that your word has authority and it is authoritative. But Jesus, you came not to do away with the law, but like you said, to fulfill the law and to start a new covenant one that starts in your name. So we are now followers of you, Jesus. Help us to understand what it is you want for us and from us and what it is in your word, Lord. Holy Spirit, will you illuminate and will you bring to light a better understanding of your word and how it affects us in our lives. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.